But I'd like for you, if you will, to take your Bible and go with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Those of you who are familiar with your Bible, you know right away it's a chapter about charity. And we'll look at some things here. I want to read one verse, just one verse, and then we'll pray together and spend some time in the book of 1 Corinthians and come back to this verse. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, the Bible says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege to be here this evening. What a great opportunity, Lord, that you've given us. I pray you will help us to be a blessing to this congregation. I pray you'd use us, Lord, to say something that will not only stir their hearts and their minds now, but somewhere during the week or down the road in their life, they can look back and remember not this preacher, not this sermon, but our great Savior and our great God who can help them through any problem and any need in any situation. Lord, I can't do that in and of myself. I'll certainly need your help. I pray you would help us now. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text verse that we read, the very last phrase in that verse says, but the greatest of these is charity. There are many passages of Scripture in the Bible, many texts in the Bible, and many chapters in which the, if the chapter stood alone, or if the verses stood alone, there would certainly be lots of material in that passage or in that verse in which to preach. In that text, in that chapter, or in that verse, there would be many things which we could glean and gain help. But the Bible is put, put together in such a way that context is extremely important. We have here, if we, if we were an outsider looking in, not believing or understanding the fact that God's word is perfect. You do believe that, right? It would appear to those of you who are Bible students and are aware of all the content of 1 Corinthians, you would understand that the book is written in such a way that the Apostle Paul literally is taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and he is pretty much dissecting these believers for all the problems, all the troubles, all the immaturity that they have as believers. And then all of a sudden you come in this great text, in this great book of the Bible, you come to this beautiful picture in chapter 13 of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christ is charity. Jesus is charity. God is love. And so we see right in the middle of all of those problems, all of those situations, all of those difficulties, it would appear to the human eye and to a man who is not versed in the Bible that is a chapter that's probably out of context. But in fact, it could never be in greater context. You see, there's a lot of things going on in the church of Corinth, and the only way to overcome all of those problems, all of those difficulties, all of those situations is with charity. And I want to share with you tonight, with the help of the Lord and, and the time that I have, four points. I'm going to give you those points because I'm not going to have time to preach them in detail. But in the book of 1 Corinthians, we have, first of all, we have Christ's position or the Christian's position. And that's what we're going to look at here in just a moment. That's probably what we're going to preach. We see the Christian's position, and then we're going to see the Christian's problems. I just want to remind you tonight, I, I'm glad you're saved. The brothers talked about people being baptized today, people being saved today. 
If you're here today and you're not saved, I want to recommend my friend to you. His name is Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I encourage you to get saved. I encourage you to know Jesus as your Savior. So we'll talk about the Christian's position in Christ, but I want you to understand something tonight. If you are saved or if you're thinking about being saved, being a Christian is not going to solve your problems. After these believers are dressed in the first part of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians about their salvation, the remainder of the epistle, with the exception of a few diamonds in the rough, is about all the problems in their lives. So there's Christians, there's problems, there's problems. But then there's the Christian's power. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about. It's about the Christian's power. You see, we, we have this mentality or we've seemingly been taught this idea that we receive our power as a believer in all different kind of manifestations or all different kind of ways, and I'm not here to argue that or to discuss that. All I want to tell you is this. According to this powerful chapter in the Bible, verse number 8 says, Charity never faileth. And verse 13 says, But the greatest of these is charity. I believe the greatest power that a believer can have in all of his life is charity. So we see the Christian's position, the Christian's problems, the Christian's charity, or the, the Christian's power. And then it would be, boy, wouldn't it be a blessing to preach on the last part of the sermon, and that's the Christian's promise. I'm glad that uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about a, a, new, a new body that is incorruptible, amen, and a new life, victory over death, and, and blessings for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's certainly some promises as well. But I want to look tonight, and if I get time to come back to chapter 13, I would love to do that, but I want you to come all the way to the first part of the book, and that is chapter number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we have in these first verses of an epistle that is written to arguably or most likely the most carnal church of all the churches that the Apostle Paul addresses. They have, they have more things going on against them in 1 Corinthians than we read about in any other of the church epistles in the Bible. And yet the first part of 1 Corinthians, the first nine verses of this chapter is some of the most beautiful, artistic uh, uh, word pictures, if you will, that you'll ever see for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you why that's so important. Before the Apostle Paul ever got around to laying out all the problems that the church of Corinth had, he said, I want to take some time with the help of the Lord, and I want to assure you of your position in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to understand who you are because you have received Christ as your Savior. I want you to be steadfast in the fact that regardless of what comes after this day, Christ is in you, and that is your hope of glory. My, we, we read sometimes with tears in our eyes through chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 with all the depravity of man. But man, we can always go back and hold on to those first few verses where the book began that being in Christ Jesus is something we can rejoice about. Then as we begin to live that Christian life, as the brother made mention, the pastor preached on this morning, 
How that we need a clean heart in our life. And, and we begin to think about how that we can have power in our walk with Christ. Can I encourage you with something this evening? And I don't mean to sound in any way uh, disrespectful at all. But that power is not going to come in your prayer life. I'm not against your prayer life. I'm not saying that uh, prayer is not important. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. The Bible tells us that we, we should uh, uh, could pray continually. Uh, so I, I'm not minimizing that at all whatsoever. And please don't leave here and say, I was enjoying that preaching until he, he said something disrespectful concerning prayer. That's not my intention and that's not what I said. You understood me uh, incorrectly if that's what you think I said. I simply want you to know that praying through and holding on and all of those things that you hear talked about is not where the power is at in the Christian life. The power is in charity. The Bible says it never faileth. And the Bible says in the last part of that verse that the greatest of these is, power, is, is charity. We could talk about the fact that if I wanted power in my Christian life, I should read my Bible more, and I like the, 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 the bulletin and the, the reading for the week, and I think you ought to read your Bible all that you possibly can, but the power is not going to come in the Bible reading. The power is going to come in the obedience to the Bible that you are reading. And with that obedience to the Bible that you're reading comes an attribute that you and I don't have naturally, but our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, does. And that is the greatest of these, which is charity. Your power as a believer will be in a charitable life. And then we have the great promise at the end of the book. But I want to look tonight at who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you will, in verse number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Bible says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God unto Sosthenes, our brother. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Verse number three says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in this, in this Christ or this Christian's position, there are six things that we want to look at and I've, I've tried to alliterate them so it'll be easier for you to understand. But there are six things, six things in this Christian position that are made mention of here in these verses of Scripture. The first one is this, they are in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible says in verse number two, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. I want to say just a, just a quick word about this sanctified that's made mention of here. Sanctification has a twofold meaning. 
Bible sanctification, we get called up a lot of times in being sanctified from, and I'm all for being sanctified from. Please don't misunderstand me. But that's not all that it's talking about. It's not just sanctification from. In the Bible sense, especially here in verse number two, it is also sanctified in. So the Bible says that they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ saves you, he does not only take you out of the world, which is a blessing, but he also places you in Christ Jesus, amen. And so he, he not only frees you from the old life, he gives you a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. He not only sets you apart from your past, but he gives you a glorious present and a blessed future, amen, in Christ Jesus. You see, sanctification is from sin unto righteousness. Sanctification is from darkness and into light. It's from the devil and into the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these believers in Corinth, they have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad tonight? What a blessed truth it is to know that I am in Christ and he is in me. What a blessing it is to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these, these Christians, the Christian position is that they are in Christ Jesus. Second of all, they are called to be saints. Look at the verse again. Under the church of God, which at, verse number two, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Notice this other one, point number two. They're called to be saints. Now, contrary to the Roman Catholic Church, who selects those who they want to pronounce to be saints uh, after that they have died. <laughs> Here's what I like about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that all believers are saints, amen. So I look around the room tonight and, and I see a bunch of individuals that I, I don't know. There's several folks, my wife and several teenagers from our church. Thank you so much for coming and being with us tonight. So I know some of them. And, and I know the, your, your sister pastor, Brother Mark, and I know Brother Mike sitting over there smiling. Uh, and uh, good, so good to see him. But I'll tell you this. Here's what I know. Uh, he may, I'll pick on Brother Mike. I probably know him the best. He may not look like it to you. Sometimes he probably don't even act like it. But according to the Bible, he is a saint in Christ Jesus. You know, I may not sometimes act like it. You probably couldn't pick me out of a crowd and say, I know that guy over there. He is sanctified in Christ Jesus. I bet he's a saint. You wouldn't recognize that by looking at me, but my position in the Lord Jesus Christ is that I am sanctified in Christ and I am called to be a saint. Amen. What a blessing that is. Amen. And so third of all, I really like this. Third thing that we see about this Christian position is that they are covered by grace. Look at verse number three. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number four. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So I made mention of the fact, this third point, they are covered by grace. Now, they not only received saving grace at the moment of salvation. You do, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We thank the Lord for saving grace. But as you read this verse, Paul has already concluded the fact that these believers at Corinth, they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They're called to be saints. And at the present time of this reading, they are, the Bible says, grace be 
unto you. And then it says in verse number four, the grace of God which is given unto you. So as we're reading this verse, present tense, they are receiving God's grace. Aren't you glad that God didn't just save you by his grace and then he run off somewhere and left you? No, I needed grace to be saved. I needed grace to get up this morning. I'll need grace to leave here this afternoon. I need grace as I'm standing here this evening. I'm glad for the grace of God that is continually covering those who are sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've needed grace to get saved. I needed grace when I got saved. I heard a preacher the other day, I was preaching in Kentucky, and I heard a preacher say, he's going to tell you something. I didn't know how to get saved, but I'm glad that God knows how to save sinners. Amen. Ain't that a blessing? I'm glad for the grace of God that a birth a man into the family of God, and then the grace of God that'll be with him every day of his life. And so these believers at Corinth, of all places, are covered by the grace of God. What a blessing. I'm not going to be able to get into all that I want to preach, so I'll go ahead and tell you this. I mentioned earlier why this is so important. Paul is going to begin in this same chapter, as early as verse number 10, taking the sword of the Spirit and saying, you got problems with your unity here. You got problems with your favorite preacher here. You got all kinds of disunity and division going on. But thank God you're covered by grace. (laughs) You know why that's so good to me? Because I know me. And as bad as I hate to admit it, I'm not guilty of everything that this church of Corinth is, is guilty of but I'm guilty of enough that it's scary. And I'm thankful for the grace of God that covers me. So they had, they are in Christ Jesus. They're called to be saints. They're covered by grace. They had cumulative riches. Look at verse number five. I love it. That in everything, no, that's, that's, a big, that's, too, that's a big word. In everything, Ye are enriched by him. Is it not true that our new life in Christ and our continual covering of his wondrous grace has made every aspect of our life richer than it ever was before? In everything, the Bible says, you are enriched by him. Look at this. He doesn't stop there. That's a great statement in and of himself, but there's a comma there, and there's a continuation after that. He gives some specifics to which we are enriched in. He said that in everything, you're enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. So this church at Corinth, I keep saying that. Obviously, he's writing to you and I as well, but I want you to understand the carnality of the church at Corinth. Not that I want you to be a carnal church. God forbid. That's, not, that's my, not my intention at all. I'm just trying to tell you that this church, these believers in this church, their position was secure and sound in Christ Jesus aside from the fact and the problems that they were, Paul was fixing to deal with. And so he says, I like that in everything you're enriched in all utterance and knowledge. So they had rich utterance. We have also, you and I have also been enriched with spiritual utterance. You know what that means? It means that not only have we been given the ability, but we have been given the responsibility to speak on the behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, there, there's a lot of things that we can talk about, and, I, and I'm not necessarily talking about things that are sinful or wrong, but we spend our life talking about things that have no meaning, no meaning or no lasting effect. And the fact that we are in Christ Jesus and, and we're called to be saints and we're covered by his grace and we're enriched in all things, we, our vocabulary, listen, our vocabulary ought to proclaim our position in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not, we're not enjoying those benefits because we are good. We're not enjoying those benefits because we've arrived. No, we're enjoying those benefits because we have a great Savior, amen. Amen. And so that in everything you're enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Now, so not only did they have rich utterance, they had rich knowledge. Now, I, I want to just give you a small example of this. <clears throat> We're, like, we're living in a time when college professors don't know the difference between a male and a female. We're living in a time when people who are members of our government don't know what a woman is. They have been educated to degrees that are out the roof, but they don't even know where they came from. Listen, we have rich knowledge. Not only do I know where I came from, I know where I'm going. People are paying circus millions of dollars to try to know their future. Friend, my future is secure. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to be with him, amen. Hey, I've got some rich utterance and some rich knowledge. I've got something to talk about, and I know where I'm going, amen. Now, the fifth thing that we see is that they have a confirmed testimony. Look at verse number six. The Bible says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Now, the word confirmed means made certain as to truth. In other words, it's validated. So if you're wondering, in case you're wondering, well, I've been confirmed, but how long is it going to last Preacher mentioned it earlier. Is it is it going to end, or or is it you know is it good for a few days? Is it you know I got a thirty day trial period. I, I've been con I've been confirmed, but but I don't know it, it. How long is it? Well, just keep reading your Bible, Amen. Verse number seven says, look at look at verse number six. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, verse number eight is wonderful who shall also confirm you unto the end. <laughs> I'm not confirmed for a 30-day trial period. I'm not confirmed for six months, or I'm not confirmed until I mess up or until I do something wrong. I'm confirmed unto the end, amen. Hey, we can take time out and shout about that if we wanted to. But that's not even the best part. The Bible says in that verse of scripture that we are confirmed blameless. <laughs> blameless unto the end. Do you not know me? Do you not know my life? Do you not know my struggles? Do you not know my difficulties? Do you not know my problems? Do you not know all that I'm facing? Oh, Paul, you don't understand. He said, no, preacher, you don't understand. You are confirmed blameless because you have a great Savior. It's not about you. It's about your God, amen. <laughs> they have a confirmed Testimony, a confirmed blameless unto the end. There's no way that this is possible in any 
of our lives apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, look, I, look just run one reference because I'm only going to Google one more point. Hold your place here and come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. <clears throat> In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says this in verse 23. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body, look at these next two words, three words, be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am confirmed blameless. I am preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to make you want to shout. You say, preacher, I I can look at the rest of those people in 1 Corinthians and I can relate to all that. Then get your eyes off of that. And get back over here in chapter 1 at these first few verses and get a good look at who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are confirmed blameless. We are preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, the only thing that we can say about that is this. It must have been that God did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. Now here's the last point, and I'm going on vacation. They came behind in no gift. Look what the Bible says in verse number seven. So that they came behind in no gift gift and no gift God had given them gifts this, this church had all the gifts the, the, I, I believe the Bible we read through 1 Corinthians I encourage you to do that just so you can get the gist of what I'm trying to say tonight you're not going to see any evidence of great gifts in their life you, you're going to hear some talk about those gifts that over there in chapter 12 and chapter 14 and all those stuff that Paul has to wind up rebuking but from the outside looking in, we don't really see much evidence of gifts. But I don't have to see any evidence of gifts in their lives for it to prove the Bible to me. If it says so in the scripture, it is true. The Bible says they came behind in no gift. I lay that out like that for one reason. There's a room full of people here tonight, and every single one of you that is in Christ Jesus has been gifted by God to do something for him. I hope you're not like the believers at Corinth and we can't find any evidence in it in your life. It's there if you know him. So whatever gift it is that God has given you, get busy exercising that gift. Now, just one more thing. It's not a point. It's a conclusion to the sermon. Preacher, I don't don't understand. I I have no idea how, I I know I'm saved. I know I've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. I can see with you in the scripture and I believe the Bible that I'm sanctified in Christ, that that I am called to be a saint, that that I am covered by the blood, that that I have a confirmed testimony. I'm enriched in all things and, and God has given me a gift, but how in the world is that possible? You don't know me, preacher. No, but I know who that God is. And your answer is found in verse number nine. What's the first three words? God is faithful. 
You see, the honest testimony of the fact is you're not faithful. The honest testimony of myself is I am not faithful. I strive to be faithful. I'm not minimizing faithfulness. I think you ought to strive to be as absolute faithful as you possibly can. But the truth of the matter is all of us come short in one area or another or many. But our God comes short in no area. All of these things are possible to all of us who believe because our God is a faithful God. Now as you read the book of Corinth, book of Corinthians, book to the church of Corinth, the book of 1 Corinthians. If you divide the book of the 1 Corinthians into two sections, you can divide it other ways. But you can divide it in two ways. One of those ways is the very next verse begins the second section of the book of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 9 is the hinge on which the whole book opens and closes. You are who you are in Christ Jesus. But there's a life of problems and a life of trouble and a life of difficulty. And the only way you're ever going to be able to resolve any of those issues is if your life is filled with charity. And then one of these days we have the great promise in chapter 15. Let me, let me just read. I lied. I did not mean to. Preachers are bad for this. I just want to read one verse. I would quote it, but I can't remember it. It's, it's something to encourage you, okay? First Corinthians chapter 15, you know the verse. It's the last verse in chapter 15, and this is what it says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, life has been different the last few years. We've faced things we've never faced before. The brother told me earlier that the, the pastor made mention, the sister pastor made mention of the 200 and some on the buses. He said we had 700 before COVID. Life has changed, but don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get weary. Don't get sidelined. We got a faithful God. He will not fail to reward you for your service in the Lord. We have a great promise. God bless you, Pastor.